and they ended up being very very personal essays but with uh, a global resonance because uh, not everyone in the world has PTSD and not everyone is non-binary but these are issues of identity that resonate among young people all over the world. Where is the next generation of journalists and storytellers coming from and how are they learning our profession's best practices and traditions? I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Hundreds of creative young people are converging this week on San Juan, Puerto Rico for the International Congress of Youth Voices, an event designed to unite young people for a weekend of collaboration. I've got two people on the podcast to discuss what it's all about. Amanda Yuli is the co-founder of the International Congress of Youth Voices, and Nelson Graves is the founder of News Decoder, a global educational news service for young people. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda and Nelson. Thank you. Thank you. So, well, first of all, why don't you each give me sort of an overview of uh, your organizations? Amanda, what can you tell me about the International Congress of Youth Voices? The International Congress of Youth Voices is in our second year now, and we're just about a week and a half away from meeting in Puerto Rico. We'll be in San Juan, and we have 130 of the world's most accomplished teenage activists and writers joining us. So they're coming from 27 different countries. And they all are passionate about, you know, a range of different things related to social, social justice mostly. And when we founded this organization, my co-founder Dave Eggers and I started this last year, we really believed there was this great power in getting young people together physically in the same space. We know that young people have important perspectives and are doing important work, and we thought there would be great power in uniting them. And we did last year in San Francisco, and we can't wait to do so again this year in San Juan. And Nelson, what can you tell me about uh, News Decoder? What, what's your mission? What do people need to know about it? First of all, I thought we were young, uh, being four years old, but uh, we're actually older than uh, the Congress. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we've done as much either. Uh, so you're here to the Congress. But no, we, News Decoder, uh, put simply, is, is an effort to help young people around the world better understand big international issues and become better global citizens. I'm an ex-journalist, had also worked in education, and to a certain extent, News Decoder bridges those two interests and uh, careers by putting journalism and journalistic skills and behaviors and the experience of a group of journalists at the service of, of young people. So uh, the idea came to me in, I think it was around 2013, when I saw a great many very experienced foreign correspondents, some of them ex-colleagues of mine at Reuters, but not all of them, uh, being laid off or taking early retirement, even at an early age, and seeing these, these very skilled journalists sort of out the pasture, if you will, and then also speaking to my own children who are millennials. And I remember a trip to Brittany, we were talking about, I can't actually remember what the current event was, but it was some current event. And I was struck with how much uh, my daughters knew about this event, but of course, being as young as they were, they didn't—they weren't necessarily able to connect the dots. So News Decoder brings experienced, skilled foreign correspondents together with young people to help the young people broaden their perspective, learn more about the world, and, and learn from each other. So let's step back a second here, Nelson. You know, you're you're a longtime journalist. We were talking before the mics came on. You know, over two decades of experience at Reuters. Could you sort of give us an overview of your career and, and how that sort of helped your perspective in, in starting News Decoder? Sure. I mean, being a foreign correspondent is a bit peculiar. I mean, many of the 
demands on a foreign correspondent are the same demands on a correspondent who is not in a foreign country. But to a certain extent, some of the demands are a little bit different. Typically, when you're a foreign correspondent, especially for a place or for a company like Reuters, which is a big international news service, you're writing for a global audience. You're not writing for a well-defined national or regional audience. And when you do that, you have to keep in mind, yes, the global audience and how they can see things in a different way, but you need to explain things in very simple terms because much of what you're writing about will be not very familiar to part of your audience anyways. And you also have to be very sensitive to different perspectives because uh, the way the world works is uh, people see things in radically, sometimes very opposed ways. And foreign correspondent over time develops the ability to actually get a grasp of these differing perspectives, learn techniques, how to learn more about these perspectives, become good listeners, and then can explain things to a global audience in as impartial a way and in as unbiased a way as possible. We all have biases, admittedly, but one can make an attempt to be as open-minded and as even-handed as possible. So those types of skills, which are at a premium for someone who is a foreign correspondent, are precisely the, some of the skills that we're trying to inculcate uh, at, at News Dakota over, we're working primarily with young people who are, you know, just emerging from what I would call their family bubbles. They might be 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe they're first uh, traveling alone. They're learning a second or third language. They're, they're moving beyond the comfort zone of their, of their families and immediate communities. And they're taking an interest in things beyond them. And in some cases, the world. And so we're trying to help them to navigate uh, a more, a more complex world and, um, you know, be, be true to their values that they have probably learned in their, in their local communities, but also be open to the possibility that some people elsewhere may see things in a very different way than they do. So you're based in uh, Paris, but News Decoder has a more global approach. Yes, we're we're based in Paris. I was interested in what Amanda said earlier about the value of bringing young people together physically, and I absolutely agree with that. I think and I'm, I'm I'm somewhat envious that you'll be doing so in Puerto Rico very soon. Ours is a virtual community because if you want to have a global conversation, it's very difficult. Unless you do a Congress uh, once a year and you're trying to do it uh, more regularly, it's very difficult to have a conversation that's physical. So we're a virtual community. It opens up all sorts of opportunities and possibilities that were not there before the digital revolution began. It also has its, its challenges, but we try to leverage what the digital world can offer by way of communication possibilities to bring young people together at a, at a virtual table. Uh, we have a website which is open, and so they publish there. We uh, hold webinars using digital equipment. And so we try to bring together young people themselves from different parts of the world. We have a very international outlook. So from different parts of the world, uh, sometimes just with other young people and sometimes with people who are considered experts in a particular issue to, to help them sort of better understand the complexities of that issue. So how about you, Amanda? Can you tell us about your background and sort of how it informs, you know, the founding of the International Congress of Youth Voices? Certainly. Well, my co-founder, again, Dave Eggers, and I both have a background in um, 826 uh, writing and tutoring centers which Dave founded 826 Valencia, which is a noted program in San Francisco, founded at that address, by the way, for those who don't know. And that was started in 2002 as a way for adults in the community to work with school-age students on their homework and then, importantly, on their writing. So it has a real writing focus. And so I ran 826 Michigan for 11 years up until 2017, 
And when I left, I started working with Dave on ways to connect and support not just the nine eight two six centers, which are around the United States, but the 66 organizations that are um, youth writing centers around the world. So, you know, in his, his own travels related to his career, Dave has had a chance to visit many of these centers in Stockholm and Milan and in Sydney, Australia and elsewhere. And whenever he would visit a center like this, and I certainly knew it firsthand from my experiences in Detroit and Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor, Michigan with 826 students, we would meet these extraordinary young people who were, as Nelson was saying, knowledgeable and passionate about issues in their community and in their world. And, you know, Dave and I feel like there's nothing more important than supporting and empowering those young people and their perspectives, because the issues they care about affect them so much more than they affect me or any of us on this podcast who are all adults. So we really feel like making way for young people to make change in the world and to just sort of fully realize their their passions is this is the most important thing. So we thought that those very extraordinary young people in all of those writing centers, those 66 writing centers around the world should really have a chance to be together. And I love some of the things that Nelson was saying about the the virtual and the digital community which we're trying to build in our, you know, infancy here as an organization. But we thought we would start by getting su- just some of them together. We wish it could be a thousand students rather than 130, which it is this year. But we, we get some of them together with the hope that they will connect and engage with one another, with amazing partners like News Decoder to sort of further that work year round. So what type of things does your do your organizations do to support young writers and journalists? What skills are you bringing to them and how are you doing that? I think, you know, what Nelson was saying before is really, it's such a great match. This is where I think we're great partners. I think we all see that young people come to us with knowledge and passion about these issues. But we find, and this is also true of the, the youth writing centers around the world, a lot of times the gap is in having young people think about their audience and who they're writing for and to. And so having experienced journalists like, like Nelson's organization does is a tremendous asset for a young writer who needs to frame their writing in the context of publication in the context of who's going to read this and how do I sway them toward my opinion? How do I convey facts impartially? How do I, you know, convey a situation that's very real and very intense, especially in a teenage perspective to a broader audience. The reason we're talking today is that News Decoder and the International Congress of Youth Voices are collaborating to publish the work of of young writers on pressing global issues like immigration and gun safety. Tell me about that partnership. Sure. So News Decoder offers this incredible platform for our students to publish their work. So I know we've had students from Michigan, uh, who, who published an essay on, on the site here where I live. But then also we've had some of our students from around the world publish on various issues. And they've worked with, I believe, Nelson's associate, Lauren, on refining their work and, you know, that audience piece, making it publishable, making it ready for the global audience that, that will read it on News Decoder's website. I did want to talk about the fact that your your collaboration is is focusing particularly on immigration and gun safety. Why choose that as your focus? Those are two 
very important issues that uh, that the young people in our partnership and beyond are very concerned about, primarily because they're existential issues in, in a lot of respect. I would say, along with climate change, these are existential issues that call into question a young person's sense of identity. I mean, immigration has a direct relationship with a young person's definition of self and the sense of sense of identity. The extent to which a young person can accept somebody who's different or not has a lot to say about themselves. Guns represent a physical threat to many young people, especially in the, particularly in the United States, where they are so where there have been so many shootings in schools, and many young people don't understand gun enthusiasts' attachment to the right to bear arms and believe stronger rules are needed to protect society. So these are these are two issues where I th that are very ripe for exploration on the part of young people in our communities to examine what's going on. And there are opposing viewpoints on both immigration and guns. Also in climate change, there's some opposing viewpoints, although I'd say that, that the deck is stacked, scientifically speaking, in one, in one direction. But, you know, there are people who have opposing views on guns. And I think to make change and, and hear here to the Congress for encouraging young people to, uh, to speak up and to make change in the world. But to make change in a democratic society, you have to take into account opposing viewpoints. And we're trying to help young people to understand that, yes, their ideals and their values are uh, important, and they may even be be right in many instances. But to affect change, in some cases, you, you have to work with opponents and you have to come up with a consensus in a democratic society. Otherwise, it's tyranny. So, Amanda, tell me about the upcoming International Congress of Youth Voices. How, how are the delegates chosen and what will they be experiencing uh, there in Puerto Rico? Well, as you know, we're speaking on July 25th, which is Constitution Day in Puerto Rico and is a historic day because of what, what happened yeah. overnight in Puerto Rico. So they will be experiencing much more than we even had planned when we set the, the date and the location long ago. So I can get into that a little bit. But first, I'll tell you how they're selected. We rely very heavily on our local partners. So for instance, the you know we have some great partners at our Youth Writing Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. They're called Wordplay Cincy. They do great work. I've been there. And so we turn to them because we know that the leadership there knows the very most qualified young people to be part of this Congress. So largely they are selected via our relationships that way. And we ask for local nominations. We think that local people are our best positioned for that. We also, you know, watch the world news and we see young people who are making news for the change that they're already making in their, whether it be in their school or in their cities. So we, we can select a few, but we, that local partnership network is a really big part of things. And we have really, you know, deep conversations with the, the leadership of these writing centers to say, which of your students would benefit from this, which are mature enough to handle such a, you know, an international trip. And that's how we select them. So it's always, I will say, a very difficult choice. If we could have many hundreds more young people joining us, if we could afford it, and if we could manage it, we would, for sure. But then when they get there, we have about three and a half days together in San Juan. We'll do our opening night is a dinner with the novelist Edwige Danticat, who is Haitian-American. Of course, many of our students are not just journalistic writers, but they are fiction writers or poets, creative writers, other ways. So we think that Edwidge will be just a wonderful inspiration to start things off. Then we have a full day of 
sessions together. Many of them are student-led this year. Last year, we relied a lot on adult speakers. This year, we were really turning much of the leadership and the content over to young people, so they'll have a chance to sort of meet together and organize. They'll present on some of their own accomplishments in various areas. We do have, of course, many great adult speakers, too, a climate change scientist, a sort of peace activist uh, who's Palestinian. And then on Friday, we are planning to actually, we've been given use of the Puerto Rican Capitol building, which was scheduled today to be where impeachment <laughs> proceedings were happening. So I, that was in a little question as of yesterday, whether we could still use the building. But we will actually be meeting in the Senate chamber for Puerto Rico and having a full session there. And then our last day, we do a service project and we're going to help with some continued, uh, even two years on, there's continued Hurricane Maria recovery work to be done. So we're partnering with a nonprofit there to do some environmental and just sort of clean up work. What do you hope the delegates take away from this event? Well, I know that they will take away these great connections with one another. And we saw it last year. I think that, you know, last year we as I said, we relied more on adults because we thought that was the safe choice to do. Little did we know what incredible leaders these young people would be. And last year, the students got together and they wrote this beautiful manifesto that The Guardian published for us. And it was about how they wanted to work together and what they will do. And what we saw in this year since is that they've all worked together and the, the digital connections cannot be underestimated. They use WhatsApp and Instagram and everything else to connect with one another year round. And we've seen that each individual young person is better, more effective, more supported in their work, in their communities, because they know one another, you know, through these, not, not even via us directly, but, but they've connected and they've been supporting each other. I'm interested in what Amanda said about uh, sort of the, the role that she sees young people playing this year at her Congress compared to last year based on this uh, acknowledgement that, you know, young people bring so much to the table. And that, that is absolutely fundamental to News Decoder's mission and our outlook, actually, that young people need to be listened to. And what we're trying to do is to help them articulate their experiences and their ideals and to learn from others and then to learn strategies for understanding issues and ultimately making change. So I fully agree that young people are, you know, they're the future. We all know that. That's a, a cliche, but we're here to help them actually make something of the world that we have botched ourselves. Um, you asked mm -hmm. earlier about what, what do our organizations do to support young writers and journalists. And what we do ranges from some basic behaviors and skills that we try to uh, foster in young people. It could be as basic as, you know, to be prompt, to set reasonable deadlines and meet them, to accept constructive criticism graciously, working them through how to frame issues, uh, how to map out a strategy for interviewing the right types of people to get a grip on complex issues. And then the final stage, which in many respects is actually the easiest stage is the uh, crafting. It could be writing, it could be producing, uh, if, if it's a podcast, producing the uh, the actual podcast. It's, it's the work that goes in before you do the crafting that is actually the most difficult. But we help them through all those stages to try to come up with something something interesting. And I can just, just to wrap up, I can think of two particularly interesting essays that uh, were published on our website earlier this year by young people. They actually started out doing photo reports 
that I emphasize that we do multimedia expression. So they started out with photo reports. One was focusing on PTSD. She's a victim of PTSD. And the other is a non-binary individual at a school. And they started out exploring these two very complex issues and ended up having a multimedia piece with photos and with, with text. And the photos cleared the decks, so to speak, so that uh, each of them could speak about these very difficult issues in text. And they ended up being very, very personal essays, but with uh, a global resonance because not everyone in the world has PTSD and not everyone is non-binary, but these are issues of identity that resonate among young people all over the world. Now, I know you mentioned that uh, you, you published um, these reports through News Decoder, and then also the, mentioned, um, Amanda mentioned the, uh, the Guardian publishing the manifesto that, from the first Congress. You know, did do you help the, uh, the writers to, to find publications to, to publish their work? As far as we're concerned, we have a free website uh, open to the public, and that, as far as we're concerned, is the ultimate destination. Other publishers can use what's on our website if they want to, as long as they credit it. But everything on our website is is original. There's no curation. There's no aggregation. We don't republish things. So every every single bit of content on our website is original, which I think is is good. As far as we're concerned, it is an ultimate ultimate destination for their for their work. We're read and close to. 200 countries, actually, uh, some more than others. We're, the United States accounts for about 40% of our readership, and then uh, Western Europe a lot, but uh, many, many other countries. So we see it as a, you know, as a credible final, final destination. If it ends up elsewhere, and it can be the case, we don't have a problem with that. We're a not-for-profit, by the way, and we're not monetizing our website directly. Okay. So, so we've been talking a lot about helping writers, young writers, um, storytellers to tell their stories publishing on on newscut or you know going to the to the youth conference to to interact and you know to and sort of improve their perspectives and everything what about the other end of this you know what what do you see these young creators you know how have they, how are they changed from the beginning to the end for us i think that it's a because we're so new we're just in our second year here we are aiming to see students take even more of a lead and this is sort of expanding upon what I was saying before about students speaking more at this year's Congress. What we actually hope is that we will have made space and made resources available so that this year our students will really take the lead and and um, help us plan and execute not just next year's Congress, which is in a to-be-determined location at this point, but also that they will help guide and support each other and begin to really lead the organization. I think that's kind of a long-term goal of ours is that we will foster this community of young people who are all leaders already to lead this work. So that's the change um, that we're hoping to see. And we think that that kind of leadership opportunity is going to have a pretty profound impact on all of these young people and their sense of themselves and their sense of their place in the world, and hopefully will impact the work that they're doing. And again, as Nelson said, their work, some of it is around immigration or gun violence, but it's also around racial equity and around education reform. I mean, it spans the gamut. So, you know, our, in our, our dreams and our hopes are that we're having some effect indirectly on all of those things moving forward in the world. So, you know, the, the audience for this podcast primarily are journalists in various stages of their career. Are there opportunities for, for people like that to become in, involved in, in your organizations? Absolutely. We uh, 
Our primary audience uh, are students and faculty at partner schools who are members of our of our organization. But we do have many guest writers, including members of the con delegates to the Congress, some of them. And we welcome submissions. We encourage people who are interested in submitting to submit pitches. Uh, that will be a familiar term to uh, aspiring journalists, so not necessarily the the final piece, but the, the piece uh, at its inception, what's the idea, so that we can help, if need be, we can help guide them to, uh, you know, how to how to go about it. Because as I said before, the hardest part is the reporting and the, and the research, actually. The writing or the execution, the crafting actually is is almost icing on the cake in many respects. So we help them in, in that way. And we do encourage people to uh, to submit on topics which, broadly speaking, will resonate with an international audience, which Amanda's mentioned audience several times. And it's true that writing for an international audience can be very different from writing for a regional or national audience, actually, because uh, international concerns are not always shared uh, nationally, actually, or they're not always perceived in the same way. You know, what you're reading on the front page of your local newspaper in Michigan or Washington or, or Boston may be very, very different from what you're reading in Kenya or in Sri Lanka or in Tokyo, what have you. Right? This is, sort of goes without saying, but in some cases it needs to be underscored so that the people can really direct their, their work at, at a global audience. Okay. You know, I know that, Nelson, you... you you know, already said that people go to the news newscoder website to get more information. How about how about you, Amanda? Where can go where can people go to find out more information about your organization? Our website is International Congress of Youth Voices.com. So it's a long one, okay. but <laughs> uh, you can <laughs> pop that into into Google search or whatever and, and find it pretty easily too, International yeah. Congress. News Decoder's website is news-decoder.com, but needless to say, we're also uh, quite active for all the major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. So uh, it's very easy to find us if, if you so care to. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, uh, I wish you luck with your collaboration. I wish you luck with the upcoming Congress. Take care. Thanks, thanks for very much, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, Amelia Brust helped with our booking, Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.